Welcome to In the Isles, the podcast that will never leave lockdown. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll discuss the latest real news. And our main review is Pixar's latest heartwarming classic, Soul, available only on Disney+. Before we get into the meat and bones of it all, we are about entertainment and entertaining your thoughts. If there is a film you want us to cover, perhaps you listened to our end of year review episode and thought, what are these clowns chatting about? Did they not watch such and such? Let us know your angry feedback. You can email us at inthehousepodcast at gmail.com or other methods, James. Follow us on Instagram to see Instagram things in the Isles podcast. And I always neglect to say this, but really, really important. Please subscribe and give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you are using. It helps other people find us. It does. It does. On the subject of our end-of-year episode, I need to make a correction. We said that Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tuppence Middleton were our most discussed actors. Now, that's true, but there's another person who was mentioned three times. David Diggs. What? Who's he? He's the guy in Hamilton and Snowpiercer. Oh, right. Okay, okay. I had forgotten about him, so no wonder he didn't come up in conversation. He was in Hamilton, Snowpiercer, and The Good Lord Bird. So three points for him. He's in as well. David Diggs. Well done. Just send us your home address and we'll send you your award. I don't want to rig this going forward for this year, but... It's getting expensive sending out all these awards. Can we make sure we mention somebody else a few more times this time around? Yeah, we could do that. We'll do that. Yeah. Well, James, it's a week in, but happy new year to you, sir. I mean, new year. Did you have a good one? I did what I'm sure many people did in this time. I went to bed as normal on New Year's Eve, got woken up by the fireworks at midnight, ignored them, went back to sleep. And at 5am, I realised neighbours haven't gone to sleep. They're making too much noise. Kicked on the wall, very loud, and they just said, who the, are you? Boring. <laughs> and I didn't respond, I didn't respond. It would have only escalated it. And I thought, if I do a pathetic shout, it won't go anywhere. I just thought, let them imagine the fire. Let them imagine who's on the other side of that wall. Imagine, but then also throw an actual brick through the window next week. Let enough time pass for them to not suspect it's you. Yeah, totally reasonable. Totally reasonable response. Were you the same? Did you just go straight to bed? I went, well, we had a board game night planned and we tried three board games, got 30 minutes in with each one of them and my, Charlotte, my partner, was like, she's not in the mood. She's not in the mood for this. And then we realised we weren't in the mood for anything. So yeah, we got in bed at half 10 and then I uh, stayed up and edited this fine podcast. Not this one, because that would be time travel and uh, I'm not capable of that. Yeah, it was all right. And then I had a really grim start to this working new year because went back to work today. was feeling a bit anxious about it. Got myself in bed early, though, because I was knackered. I just couldn't sleep at all. So I searched the internet for over two hours, which then took me to about one o'clock in the morning, I think, for a deep sleep restorative four-hour sleep hypnosis tip that I used to listen to in my mid-20s. And I couldn't find it anywhere apart from on this weird US educational site where it was charging $25 
And I was getting that stressed out because it was then getting to three o'clock and I still couldn't find a torrent site with it available. <laughs> so I paid, I paid the big bucks and then plugged my earphones in, got settled down, and then the power tripped and our alarm went off at half three in the morning. So, yeah, it's not been a great start to the year at all, but I'm sure other people have had it worse, so I'll wind me neck in. Despite the change of the calendar from 20 to 21, we've still managed to watch some new streaming content. Shall we discuss that? Yes, let's do that. James, what have you been watching in this year, 2021, so far? If every man and his dog has a podcast, then every man and his dog and his cat have done a Mandalorian review. (laughs) He is mine. I'm a Star Wars fan, the most cliched Star Wars fan that you can be. Got into the originals, enjoyed watching the prequels when I was young, decided to hate them when it became fashionable to do so. Force Awakens, fine. Last Jedi, an insult. Everything since, whatever. So I watched The Mandalorian because it's it's become compulsory at this point. If you respond to fan service like an obedient consumer, The Mandalorian is brilliant. And the YouTube videos hailing season two as the second coming of Star Wars and Christ demonstrate that. There are rumours about the power struggles within Lucasfilm, theories about clones and time travel and erasing the sequels. Little time has passed since the end of season two and already the whole thing has been dissected and we're already coming round to, well, is it that good? Is it overrated? Is the writing that good? If there's one thing Star Wars fans hate, it's Star Wars. And we've burned through all the theories already on YouTube, so there's going to be a backlash eventually, I'm sure. But if you're indifferent to the brand and looking for an entertaining few hours, it's good. It is good. It's a Western in space. It's not science fiction. It looks cool. Every episode starts the same way. Mandalorian arrives into town, blah, blah, blah. I need your help. And then the rest of the episode is Mandalorian helping someone building up to a battle. If you know Star Wars, you can already imagine exactly what it will be. And watching it is both comforting and frustrating because the Star Wars universe is an unexpandable universe. They will never get away from where it started. And if you've seen season two, you know what I'm talking about. Could you use this as an entry point if you have no Star Wars background, or do you think you miss a lot Easter egg-wise? You'll miss a lot Easter egg-wise, even if you're a Star Wars fan like I've just claimed to be. There are characters from the cartoons that have been released in the last 10 years that I haven't seen that meant nothing to me. But you can squeeze enough enjoyment out of it anyway. Yeah, as an entry point, I think it's good because it is very simple. The plot is the Mandalorian is caring for this child and escorting him around the galaxy. That's the story. And each episode is like a Clint Eastwood Western, the man comes to town type story. It's really easy to follow. So, yes, I'd say it's good as an entry point. What else is on your watch list? Alice in Borderland, which is a Japanese show on Netflix. I wanted to watch this. You talked last week about a thriller or a horror that is like an escape room type thing? Was it called oh, Escape yeah. Room? Yeah, it's film, Escape Room, yeah. This is an Escape Room series, but with people usually getting killed in each game. Yeah. So floor is lava, but with death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. The premise is that three lads go into a toilet together in Tokyo, don't ask, where they come out and everyone's disappeared Where is everyone? Tokyo's empty. This is impossible. They're guided to a game building where they play an escape room game with fire. 
And by the end of episode one, you realize that Tokyo has become this controlled environment where you need to complete games to extend your visa or die with a laser from the sky right through the head. <laughs> Use your words from a previous episode. It's over-the-top mental TV. They play tag, but with Uzis. They play hide-and-seek, but with exploding dog collars. But it's not just escape rooms for each episode. I thought it would be these three or four characters the whole time. But surprisingly, the plot thickens and you meet a lot, a lot more characters. And the game has become a secondary concern for the second half of these eight episodes. The acting is ridiculously over the top. The people are constantly screaming. They're constantly surprised. In episode three, they're still asking, is this a game? Is, is this a game? What's happening? Gameu? One person's going to die? Yes, yes, you should know by now you're in a game world. Stop confirming with each other that's what's happening. The bad guys are really over the top, bad, overacting terribly, but it's fun to watch, and I'm hoping or believing that it's intentionally over the top just for entertainment value. The protagonist is useless. He's always shouting or crying, but he has a female companion that is more sympathetic and useful. There are some characters that are cool, but it looks like the actors are doing an approximation of the cool character from the manga and not their own thing, if that makes sense. So there's one girl who always has a lollipop in her mouth because she does in the manga and it looks weird and impractical, but they want to be faithful to the manga, so they do it. Overall, it's a horror drama that is extremely silly and I really, really enjoyed it. That sounds up my alley. I may venture down it. That's all from me. Daniel, what have you been watching? this week we've said it countless times everybody knows it 2020 quite a depressing year for everybody so far this year isn't stacking up to be much better so i thought how can i lift my spirits for 2021 by watching some light-hearted content about mass murder and sexual abuse of course first the serpent the serpent is the dramatization of true life events surrounding a french con man and murderer who operated in thailand throughout the 1970s basically masquerading as a gem dealer. This is a Netflix and BBC joint that is being distributed by ITV, currently available on BBC iPlayer. Too many cooks spoil the broth? I'll tell you. It's a true crime case that I know nothing about, which is incredibly rare these days. If anyone's seen my weekly podcast feed, which they won't have done because you would have hacked into my device, if that's the case, it's just an onslaught of 40 weekly podcasts about true crime, and I've never, ever heard of this case whatsoever, so that was really refreshing. This is about this con man, as I say, called Charles Sobraj. I have butchered that, I think, but we'll leave it. It's fine. Basically, it follows the investigation by a Dutch diplomat in Thailand who, after reporting a potentially missing couple to the police, he's met with some resistance from them to take it on. And So he begins to delve into it himself, slowly unravelling a series of mysterious disappearances of, of backpackers across Thailand. It's nice to see a crime drama set against an unfamiliar backdrop being Bangkok. I did learn that this was one of the many productions to be affected by the coronavirus in that they had to shut down filming for five months in March and relocate to the UK to finish it off. And I'm very interested to see how that plays out and how it affects the series because so far it does an absolutely stellar job of setting the scene and showing you this city in all its glory. So I don't know how it's going to keep that throughout its runtime. 
The first episode features quite a lot of exploring the scenery in which the story takes place. You see the carefree hippie vibe of the 70s played out in full from the costumes to the cars to 70s chic decor. It's extremely well realized, or at least I imagine it is. I'm an 80s child, so if you live through the 70s, watch it, make your own mind up. If you disagree, by all means, get in touch in the house podcast, gmail.com. It looks like a really expensive production. And I say that, but then at the same time, my ignorance is I don't know how much of a developed country Thailand is, so they might just have got lucky and it's just that way anyway. But anyway, it looks expensive. And I will say that I'm enjoying it more from a visual point of view at the moment than from a story perspective. It's very nice to look at. I don't want to put anybody off by saying I'm not enjoying the story as much. I am, but it's just the visuals are more appealing. Main reason for that, there's little mystery here. We're constantly being notified of events and what unfolded and then working our way back to see how it all played out. It's established early on who the culprit is. It's a man who preys on vulnerable tourists, offering them drug and alcohol-fueled parties, accommodation, and the promise of making more money along the way, with his end game being that he drugs, robs, and ultimately murders them for his own gain. Tahar Rahim plays the role of the central villain, And he's one of my main sticking points because he's nowhere as interesting as I thought he would be. He isn't given a lot to do in the role and a lot of the drama and the plot itself is actually driven by the characters around him. He's a well-known master of disguise, so maybe that's purposeful and he's supposed to fade into the background, but it took a bit of the dramatic edge off it for me. Jenna Coleman. (sighs) Jenna Coleman. I love Jenna Coleman. She plays his girlfriend. She's got a pretty competent French accent. She's swept along in this madness and seems to be facilitating him in carrying out these crimes. How complicit she is, though, remains a mystery as of yet. There's a lot of time hopping back and forth throughout the episodes, which can leave you slightly lost if you're not paying attention. But the story's engaging enough. I'm very eager to see how he was brought to justice. And if I'm completely honest, I just want to know what his kill count is because I don't actually know. It's a bit sick, that, isn't it? But anyway, it's available on BBC iPlayer. Really enjoying it so far. Give it a go. I started watching this today as well. Oh yeah, first thoughts? I agree with what you've said. The time jumping is really getting to me. Episode three, within the first eight or nine minutes, it says 1972, four years later, three months earlier, (laughs) 1976, four months earlier. And it's too much. It's too much. How How far in are you? I've just finished the third episode, I think. I want to watch it all the way through to figure out whether it will be better just having it in two parts with Jenna Coleman and the killer deal with them. And then the second half or second third is the Dutch ambassador doing the investigation and just do it in chronological order because it's too too much. Some of the victims, they look the same. So I can't (laughs) even keep track of which victims we're even dealing with in each scene. But I agree with all your positive points that you've said. Good. Well, be interesting to uh, dissect that when we've both finished it. What else have you been watching? I've also been watching A Teacher on BBC Two, or BBC iPlayer more specifically. This is an FX series for Hulu, I believe, in America. Last week, I mentioned the TV series The Mess You Leave Behind, which touched on a possible relationship between a teacher and a student. Now, I don't want people to think I gravitate towards this type of content, but this I assure you, it's purely coincidental. This is exactly what this is series is about. It's exclusively about that sort of relationship, with the difference being there's no possible about it. This is what's happening. 
It's a drama with Kate Mara as the aforementioned teacher and Nick Robinson as the student. I've never seen him in anything before. It's based on a 2013 movie by the same name, which looks to have been bashed by critics at the time. I think it's got something like 4 out of 10 on IMDb. But for some reason, writer-director Hannah Fiddle gets a second stab at the same story in the form of a series. And whilst I haven't seen the film to compare it to, I think it's a pretty accomplished drama so far. I've only got one episode left. What I liked about this is that it feels like a very honest and real story. It's not told in a sensationalised way. The relationship between the teacher and the student plays out like an ordinary type of love story, which is uncomfortable to watch in parts because you know that whatever way it's presented, the relationship is 100% wrong. The show is well aware of that, and to rule out any sort of misgivings you might have, there's a disclaimer at the top and tail of the show about reaching out for support if you're a victim of abuse. That being said, Claire's behaviour, which is the teacher, it isn't portrayed as predatory, but it does throw in enough sort of lines and gestures that hint that unconsciously, instigated or not, this is grooming. It is grooming. Whilst it's not a wholly damning finger-pointing exercise at Kate Mara's character's actions, it's not overwhelmingly empathetic either. It does sit somewhere in the middle and it leaves you as a viewer to assess how you feel about her character, which... I'll be honest, can be difficult and confusing. Me and my partner actually had quite a heated debate about this as I found myself a bit torn on how I felt about her character. Nick Robinson, who I mentioned before, without a doubt, there is undeniably empathy for him as the victim, but he plays the character so well with both a confidence and vulnerability to him at the same time. I do think he's an actor to look out for in the future. As the series progresses, you start to see the impact of this relationship, not only on the people involved in it, but the people around them as the truth comes to the surface. Following the revelation, it's pretty much an exploration of trauma that means seeing it from both the teacher and the student perspective. It is a really fine line to balance between highlighting this as a problem and offering an excuse for their relationship, but I feel as though it does succeed in telling a pretty unfortunate truth about how these relationships materialise and the lasting effects it has on them once they're wrapped up in it. I also really admire it for being brave enough to tell such a controversial story. It's very easy to binge watch. It's 10 episodes, which is roughly 20 minutes each, so you can fly through it relatively quickly. It's not easygoing TV, but essential and informative viewing. Nevertheless, I highly recommend it. I was going to watch this as well, but you've torpedoed that now, so I'll have to watch something else for next week. We can share content. Okay, okay. I'll watch it as well. I'll finish <laughs> The Serpent, I'll do Teacher. And as a bonus, I might do Black Narcissist as well with Gemma Arterton. Just hide that. You can't, you can't have that one. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Well, I think we've got some solid content, good variety there. I agree, I agree. Something that we still can't watch is Wonder Woman, but we can talk about the real news surrounding Wonder Woman instead. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. According to Cordbusters.co.uk, Wonder Woman 1984 is breaking records dot 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 on pirate sites so while we wait to see wonder woman legally and you know that we on this podcast have not watched it illegally because we've not reviewed it yet it's been... exactly i have downloaded it though it's... <laughs> no, I've not. I've not. it's been downloaded like hotcakes on torrent sites torrent freak reports that nearly 10% of all the downloads on pirate sites were for wonder woman 1984 
which is something they've never seen. And while we don't know exact numbers, surely, it is in the millions. And according to Torrent Freak, the top downloading location is India with 17%. It's the second most populous country, so maybe that tracks proportionally. I don't know. The US is number two, even though you can get it both in cinemas and on HBO Max in the US. Cheeky pockets. Ungrateful. Don't even watch it legally when they've got the chance. Predictable, I suppose, this. Bring out a film in HD as a first release. People are gonna are gonna do it, aren't they? It's gonna happen. Knock off, Nigels. They're rife throughout the entire world. It's still it's not affected the box office though. Uh, I mean, I assume it would have been higher had people not done this, but it's done quite well, hasn't it, in America so far? Low in normal times, I'm sure, but more than a hundred million around the world is fine. It's fine. The whole world is taking a charitable view to things like this, so it's unfair to say whether it's good or bad, but it's done fine. And not to give away something in advance, but I'll be very excited to review this film because it had quite a weird journey with critics, didn't it, when it was released in America? Very, very high praise, and then suddenly that has plummeted towards a pretty abysmal Rotten Tomato score. And... An IMDb one, actually. I think it was 6.8 when I last checked last week, and now it's gone down to 5.4 or something. Yes, the early reviews that came out on Twitter from real journalists, not people, not normal people like us, but the professionals, they were saying it's optimistic, unashamedly positive message, such a great film to watch in these times. And now that normal people, now that more plebs have seen it, they're all saying the writing's bad, this makes no sense, it's too long, it's a mess, villains are stupid, Wonder Woman can fly, why? It's been a very strange journey. And as we previously talked about in our episode about too much choice in streaming content, this whole cycle of critics reviews normal people reviews it's all happened before we've even seen it which has dulled my appetite for it if I, as if the news the ongoing news every week wasn't enough to get me not amped up for this film the critical consensus definitely has do you have any other wonder woman news then just to, just to beat this topic into the ground very tenuous link here it's been said that there's quite an obvious homage to the Richard Donner Superman film with Wonder Woman flying sequences in the latest Wonder Woman film. And I just thought that's a nice segue into the fact that Superman director, Richard Donner, legendary director and Oxygen Thief, and he's come out and said that he is going to be making a new Lethal Weapon film, Lethal Weapon 5, with returning stars Donald Glover, who seems to have suffered a stroke and has a bit of a lisp these days. So we'll see how that goes. And Mel Gibson. I'm really, really looking forward to this, but I don't think we're going to get it because Richard Donner is 90 years old. So I don't think he's going to manage to make this, if I'm completely honest. It's aspirational, but come on, Richard. Come on, Dickie, your time's up. Sit down, have a glass of whiskey, chill out. You've earned your stripes. You don't need to do any more. But if he does, if he succeeds, then I'm up for it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Already did Lethal Weapon 5, didn't they? So this would be Lethal Weapon 6. And there's a Lethal Weapon TV series, so maybe it's technically Lethal Weapon 7. Maybe it'll just be called Weapon to fit with the theme of paired down titles for reboots. Any other real news? Disney Plus continues in its ongoing world domination as it announces a new channel on the platform called Disney Plus Star. And this is to cater for 
the gaping hole in their platform, which is more adult content. So I think it was just been released a few hours ago, but they will have every single goddamn season of 24 and Lost available on this, as well as shows like How I Met Your Mother and other Disney-produced content through its various studios and networks. They're doing it. They are rivaling Netflix very, very soon. They're going after them, and I think they're going to be quite successful with it as well. Lost, 24, The Simpsons, that's nothing to joke about. And that's it. That's all that's happened. Got a quick bonus for you. There's an article published today in the San Francisco Chronicle. I've not read it because it's behind a paywall, but it's called Who is the Greatest Star, Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington? Why are they the only two options? Yeah. And like polar opposites as well. I don't mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know what you. Yeah, one. Denzel Washington, to me, has always been a more serious, hard-hitting actor. Tom Hanks is more light-hearted, lovable actor. I don't see why you'd pick those two. Yeah, it's an odd pairing. I'd say Denzel Washington or Graham Norton, judging by this week's film review. They're yeah. quite... No, Graham Norton and Tom Hanks, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so with that link established, shall we go into our main review? Hello, I'd like to order an opinion... Please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Soul. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night. I was born to play. It's my reason for living. Hello? What the? Wow! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Help! I'm not done! Holy! Oh my goodness! Hmm. This weed. It counts off. There's a soul missing. Is this heaven? No. Is it H-E double hockey sticks? Hell, hell, hell. Quiet coyotes. (laughs) No, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Here we are. Don't worry, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. After years of having their emails ignored, Pixar resort to making an entire film to tell Disney executives what their Star Wars and Marvel content is missing. Soul. This is a beautifully crafted song celebrating being part of a community, being out in the world and watching falling leaves. If only any of those things were possible in the world today. Because we don't leave our homes. That's the, yeah. that's, the, that's the joke there. You've summed it up pretty bang on there, James, but IMDb says that it's about a musician who has lost his passion for music, is transported out of his body, and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. That sounds nice. But is it? James, what did you think of Soul? I haven't watched a Pixar film for a while, so I was ready to jump in and enjoy this 
an original story with the best animation available in the world, the setup of new soul training, infant soul training, and a man trying to undie was good. I liked the assigning of characteristics to the infant souls by these counsellors and the other mechanisms that they had set up in this soul world. I thought that was all really fun. It was like Monsters, Inc. in that way, which makes sense because it is the same director. All that setup was good, but it did sag a bit for me in the second act with the cat stuff that I don't want to get too much into. might be spoilers. I knew where it was going and I didn't need that much time for that point to be made in the second act. But it does stay focused on Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, who are both really good. There's no subplots or twists. It sticks to the point. It's being hailed as something for all ages. But I wonder if younger audiences would really grasp the magnitude of the message. But maybe there is enough action and colours and pants splitting open to keep children involved. It's similar to Up in ways that I'd like to discuss in spoilers. Jamie Foxx, as I've said, was really good. Always liked him. But his character seemed too angry and impatient to be sympathetic sometimes. And that took me out of things a little bit. But that's balanced with Tina Fey doing the slow maturing of her character really well. I was very into that. I was close to tears twice and fully sobbing once. So based on that, I have to say that this was successful. Daniel, what did you think of Soul? Well, it's a film that can definitely hold the claim that it's the best Graham Norton film to come out in the last 12 months. The other being Eurovision, which we were divided on. This is far superior. There was a real heart and, forgive the pun, soul to the film. It's, as you said, it's a film about a music teacher, He's, or I said it in the plot synopsis, who feels as though he's never really got the big break in life that he deserves. And I I think I agree with what you said. I'm not saying it's completely not for kids. It is, but I don't think the film panders to a younger audience at all. And I don't know how much of it would land with kids. At the end of the day, it's exploring some pretty deep topics, life, death existentialism because of that thematically behind all the distracting imagery and the colors it's simultaneously uplifting but a little depressing at the same time having said that i feel as though it is a well-timed film many people you know you're struggling being cooped up in your house we're not able to go about our daily lives and this film does and did for me make me reevaluate and put into perspective a lot of things There were a lot of things that I really dug about this film. I like the jazz-inspired score. thought that worked really well and helped draw you into Joe's musical passion. As you would expect, you said it from a Pixar film, voice acting, animation, they're fantastic. In fact, before I go on to this, because you were quite reserved because we didn't want to head into Spoilerville, I was going to release or announce a minor spoiler, which is probably given away in the trailer. But Joe falls down a manhole and dies in the first 15 minutes. He then finds himself trapped in Disney's version of the afterlife. That's fine. We've kind of already said that. Once there, it is a mix of different animation styles with many of the counselors in the world being like animated in this simplistic 2D style, which is quite effective in heightening the otherworldliness of it all. I specifically liked that whole thing. It felt like a bit of a drug-induced mind trip (laughs) at times. It was both beautiful and unsettling at points as well another thing that i really liked and i don't think they had a choice in the interest of being inclusive with this but i like the depiction of the great beyond or the great before in that it was quite generic and not religion specific that was quite obviously purposeful just as i mentioned with the themes the humor is quite adult and i don't mean dick jokes but a lot of it 
I would imagine, yeah, it's going to go over kids' heads. I did like the family guy style cuts when they like mention an event and then it cuts to the punchline or reveal. I thought that works quite well for the humour. It is a film that, like I've touched on, it made me reassess the situation we're in at the minute. It, most of us are like just glued to our screens, whether it's your mobile or TV, whatever it is. But this made me just take a step back and appreciate the smaller things in life and the things that we take for granted, really, which is something which is probably a healthy mindset to have at this point in time, and I appreciated it for that. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Very well said. Yeah, it's a film for these times, more of a film for these times than Wonder Woman 1984, which critics tried to get over as a headline. I love the music as well. There was something that I wanted to mention from Wikipedia, which is that the main character was originally going to be a scientist, but they changed it to a musician because that was more of a pure profession that the audience could root for. And that works really well because without the music, I'm not sure what this film would be. The music is so important to it. The jazz Mm. music. I hate jazz music. I cannot stand Jamie Cullum when he comes on Radio 2. It's immediately off. Jamie Cullum, off. He's not jazz, is he? He is, isn't he? He's the piano oh, guy. Right. I just never, I maybe I'm getting him confused with somebody else, but I, I didn't think he was jazz. I'll let it slide. I'll go with you. He's jazz. Get off, dickhead. But the characters love for jazz, playing the piano, the performances, the idea of getting lost in the zone and that transports you to this in-between world. It all works so well. Even the poster for the film is piano keys going up in a step. Just thought I'd noticed that, that this almost wasn't a film about a musician and it works perfectly. I've struggled to see how it would have worked if it had gone down the scientist route because it does work so well with it. But thanks for that little factoid. I did not know that. Would you recommend Soul on Disney Plus streaming now? Wholeheartedly, yes. James, what about you? Surely one of the best new things on the Disney Plus platform. Yes, I would recommend Soul. Pixar, they've done it again. Good, good. Spoilers! Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Act one is what you see in the trailer, or that you will have heard in the trailer on this podcast. Jimmy Fox dies, goes into the Soul world, and the mechanics are established. Act two is a body swap comedy where Jamie Foxx is inside a cat. Tina Fey is inside Jamie Foxx's body. And it's about Tina Fey's character experiencing the world. They find their way back to Soul World. And basically what happens at the end is that Jamie Foxx encourages Tina Fey to go to Earth. She becomes a lost soul, but he saves her in a dramatic and spiritual fight. And Tina Fey goes to Earth having realised that you don't need to have one specific hobby or interest. The spark that you need to want to live is wanting to live. Jamie Foxx is given a second chance at life and he goes back to Earth as well. I think that's it. I'm struggling because of what I'm going to talk about, which is how it gets a bit tangled up. But that that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, completely summarised it in a better way than I would have been able to achieve. So let's go with that. What did you make then of the body swap that takes up the middle third of the film? I did think it's, we've done body swap. This is our third body swap film throughout the entirety of this podcast. And we've only been running for like eight months. There's Possessor. What's the other one? Black Box. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I suppose you could argue it's 
mind swap, not body swap, but you know what I mean. Same, same thing. So it just feels like something that is done a lot. Like it's done to death. I, it didn't need that. I get that a lot hinges on that in terms of where Tina Fey's character goes and how they have this realization that the spark is, as you said, life itself. But there could have been other ways of achieving that, I think. And I'm not saying it didn't work for me. It was perfectly fine. But I think I just have a bit of body swap fatigue at the minute. And I know that's only three films, so maybe I should be a bit more forgiving. But that's how I felt about it. What about you? Sam, when she's figuring out how to use the body, she can't stand up. She's stumbling out of bed, falling over, walking on her face, can't use her fingers, picking things up, doesn't know how to have a shower, only washes her bum because she doesn't know what to do. Describing it now, that does sound pretty funny, but watching it, I just felt like you've introduced this soul world concept, but now it's become literally more grounded on Earth. And it feels like, like you say, something that I've seen before. And she goes through this variety of experiences where she talks to the barber. She sees the falling leaves. She sees a homeless person. I get where it was going. She's experiencing life. Jamie Foxx kept trying to push her along, rejecting her experiences. I wasn't that into that part of it. With you saying you saw where it was going, do you mean the bait and switch of, oh, this is a film about realising your full potential and fulfilling your dream only for it to go, nah, it's not about that at all. It's quite the opposite. Did you see that coming? Is that what you meant? No, I didn't see that coming. I just saw that this is a section where she gets to live on Earth and experience things. Oh, right. And it was one scene after the other, but just a, a few a few minutes too much. Even though the scene where Cat Jamie Foxx tells her what to say to Jamie Foxx's mother, that was good. But the whole thing just went on a bit too long. Well, have it. No, it's a good time to bring this up because you've just mentioned the running time. I was so confused because I did keep periodically pausing this and just see where we're at runtime wise which is a really bad habit that i wish i'd get out of but i thought all right we've got 25 minutes left oh that's a bit weird feels like we're wrapping up five minutes later it had finished there was 20 minutes of credits did you notice that i didn't notice yeah it had a running time of an hour and 49 and it finished at the hour and a half mark i was like what the i've never seen anything quite like that in terms of the length of credits I didn't realise that. That blows apart what I was thinking. I thought when he gets back into his own body, that's another 30, 40 minutes. But it's not, is it? It's what, 15 minutes and then credits? Yeah, max, I think, yeah. So that was a bit weird. It turned out, I skipped through it, but it's just basically the same credits repeated in different languages and all the voice cast in different countries. But it just felt overly excessive, that. I mean, you don't have to sit through it. It's optional, but there you go. I imagine that's because it's on Disney Plus that they just cover everything because they do that on Netflix as well, where they have the voice cast for all countries because it's being distributed everywhere. Anyway, sorry for that little tangent that I went off there. I just wanted to make mention. But to go back to that point that I said before, I really, really loved the fact that it wasn't about inspire yourself to be something great. And no, it's not about that. It's about just living life. And as I said in the main review, appreciating it. I thought that was such a... A nice idea and one that I I just didn't see it going down that route and I appreciated it for that. What what did you think? I didn't see it coming either and I really, really loved that and it does misdirect you really well. When they go to the Hall of Everything, I think it's called, where people have fun playing basketball or doing archery, it really makes you think that's what it's going to be about. The scene where he realises it, the epiphany scene where he collects the objects from the adventure and he starts to improvise on the piano. That was an unbelievable scene. Do you know the scene that I'm talking about? 
I do indeed, because I've not mentioned it up until this point. I'm a 21st century man. I'm not ashamed. I cried too. That was not the moment where I sobbed. I did shed a tear. It was the credits, actually, weirdly enough. As the credits rolled, I sobbed at that point. I wasn't in a state up until the very final scene, but I think just digesting it all. I don't know, it had quite a profound impact on me, really. It did for me as well. That scene, there's a song on the soundtrack and it's called Epiphany. I've been listening to that song on and off all day when he improvises and gets into the zone to go back to the between world. So during that scene, I was very into it and he's flashing back over what he's done with Tina Fey. He's reflecting on his own life. I was fully prepared to cry. Then, door buzzer, Amazon delivery arrived. (laughs) Wrecked it. Completely wrecked it. So I had to compose myself and go and get some Amazon. This film will be nothing without that scene for me because it's so, so good. And again, it's because of the music that it's good. It's the character himself playing the music. If it didn't have that emotional heart to it towards the end, I'm in complete agreement. I don't think it would have been as strong. I will rate a film that has the ability to make me cry very highly unless I'm being manipulated. And I don't think I was with this film. Sam, I was also sobbing at the end credits when there's the final unassuming simple shot just of the main character smiling, realising I'm going to live life just for the sake of it. We were both sobbing, looking at each other. It was such a strong finish. But in between that, you had the chase scene with Graham Norton, where they're chasing after Lost Soul, Tina Fey, with a lasso, which was a bit of fun for the kids. That was like an action finale for the sake of it. And then when he's going through inside Tina Fey's Lost Soul, fuzzy, grey body, and seeing all the monsters of her self-doubt, and he has to get through them all. That was fine, but it interrupted my climax. (laughs) Sorry, that's poor choice of words. That was a really bad choice of words. I did want to ask you a question, and if history is repeating itself, I'm sure this is the case, but I think I missed something. The girl, Tina Fey's character. 22. 20. I don't get what state she's in. I had this inkling throughout the whole thing that she'd committed suicide. I know in hindsight now that that's dark territory. We weren't going to go there for a Disney film. But what stage is she at in life? Is she just there ready to... Because you've got this concept of people who die go to the great beyond and the great before, is it? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. So the great before are people waiting to be born. Is that right? Yes. Right, okay. Because I just I just didn't know whether she... Yeah, because she would have gone to the great beyond otherwise. Right, I get it now. I've solved it myself. I've spoke through it. I apologise. Cut this out. At the very, very end, when... 22 is flying towards earth to enter the body i had this thought of oh my god are they gonna show the point at which the soul enters the body and wade into that debate (laughs) with (laughs) pro-life and pro-choice there's no and they didn't they didn't it earth remains distant and i just thought this could have been one of the most controversial films of all time if they'd done that I was also tearing up at that point, though, when she's flying in and he's drifting away. That was my third teary moment when she's flying towards the earth. Mine too, mine too. We do have to thank the stars that we are not put in charge of a Disney film, but we would make about suicide and abortion, <laughs> which would not be the best. So, yeah, there's, there's that positive. Yeah, before we put our foot in it anymore, Richard Ayode has already got two points this year because he was in The Mandalorian and Soul. So he's the man to beat this year. 
and he's done it in one episode. And we could be mentioning him next week when he's announced as a new Doctor Who, if rumours are to believe true. So 2021 will be the year of Richard Iwata. We'd have to actually watch Doctor Who, though, and I don't see that happening. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Unless it's the seasons with Jenna Coleman. Next week, we'll be reviewing a film again. We don't know which, because that's the times that we live in at the moment. But you'll enjoy it, we assure you. Until next time, don't forget, you can't eat your dreams for breakfast. Or dinner, or tea. Or lunch, or dinner. In America, they'd probably say brunch. Brunch.